0: This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Ileana Masonet. She is a chef, a food writer, and the best source I know for reporting on Puerto Rican cuisine. During this pandemic, her blog and newsletter Eat Gorda Eat have been a welcome and delicious escape from the repetition of a stay-at-home life. I wanted to talk with Ileana about her expertise, her recipes, the book she's been working on, and why publishers need to offer her a book deal now. Hers is an essential voice. Her work on Puerto Rico demands a book. Publishers, are you listening? We're back Wednesday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Ileana. You just got home. You were telling me uh, the ground conditions in the Bay Area. You phrased it really beautifully. Could, do you remember what you said?
1: Uh, on one side of the bridge in San Francisco, is is very calm and dead and empty in the streets. And on the other side in the East Bay, people are burning shit up for human rights. So, What were you
0: doing out of the house? What was your, your errand?
1: Uh, my mom and I, uh, we go swimming. We just started going swimming. They opened up um, like a pool, but like very kind of exclusive. You know, you have to pay like a certain amount. They're only letting a certain number of people in. You have to make reservations, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I got to get my mom out of the house as much as I can, because if I don't, she'll get to a dark place pretty fast because she lives by herself, so.
0: There's a lot I like about your, your writing and your reporting. One of the things I like that you share is how well you take care of your mother.
1: I try. It's mostly residual Catholic guilt, for sure. But you know, I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying.
0: Whatever it is, it's working. I love that piece you, you wrote, uh, where you took her to fly first class. I don't even I don't know what's a piece and what's an Instagram post anymore. All you're writing's so good.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it was an Instagram post for sure.
0: <laughs> uh, and you've been on a quest with her to find the best burgers in, in the Bay Area as well.
1: She is. I will normally get something else. You know, like I usually get something that's chicken related. She has uh, self-proclaimed herself to be the best bacon cheeseburger hunter. What's your, mo- what's,
0: what's your mother's name? Carmen. 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 All right. So Carmen, Carmen Masonette needs uh, a show called Carmen Masonette's <laughs> Cheeseburger Hunter. <laughs>
1: The bacon cheeseburger. Let's be bacon cheeseburger,
0: Hunter. Yeah. Absolutely. How old is your mom? <laughs>
1: She's 67.
0: She absolutely needs a show. I think that's yeah. the, it's the show America needs. Now, what have you guys been finding? What What's open during the pandemic where you can get a good bacon cheeseburger?
1: Lots of things are open, you know? Like, um, I mean, we are pretty much sticking to the place that we wouldn't normally stick to anyway. A lot of mom-and-pop places that really can't afford to close anyhow. Uh, you know, they kind of thrive in sort of a takeout experience so their stuff kind of translates really well they don't do a whole lot of they don't bank on like dine-in services so i haven't really found i haven't found too many places to be closed honestly once we get on the road and we kind of go out until whatever direction we go to i haven't found a place that's been closed
0: did today's private swimming pool also have bacon cheeseburger service
1: Hell no, they have no food there <laughs> No
0: food, no food. I would think for the cost of admission, there, there'd at least be a grill. Yeah, no, no
1: cocktails by the poolside, none
0: of that, yeah. So you're a food writer, you're a chef, you went to culinary school, you've done pop-up dinners, you've done dinners for, you know, rap parties of West Side Story. What's, what's the cooking been like during the pandemic? Have you done Zoom dinners? Have you done follow the recipe?
1: Um, the only thing that I did... I was doing um, Instagram live cooking demos on Saturday afternoons, So I did it for about 10 consecutive Saturdays. And then I think like two weeks ago was when I was just like, this is after uh, George Floyd had gotten killed. I was like, yeah, I am just not in a good place. And I just kind of said, you know, I just couldn't really, you know, boot and rally to do it. So, and I haven't really been able to uh, kind of a series of events have unfolded that have been really ugly after that, which just kind of like kind of demoralized me into doing it. So,
0: We went through this, uh, you know, during the pandemic, this phase of everybody kind of cooking with each other online and showing off their skills and supporting each other through Venmo. And now I think everybody's just like eating cereal in a dark room and crying. <laughs>
1: seriously like whatever comfort foods they can get their hands on yep
0: Mm -hmm. like i was at the beginning i was like i'm gonna nourish myself i'm gonna cook for myself and now it's like i feel too flat to even toast this bread i'm just i'm just gonna eat eat the bread off the loaf
1: yeah like i think i ate like a fucking sandwich for (laughs) dinner last night with like iceberg lettuce and that was like literally it i was like i'm done
0: we got some skirt steak the other night, and I've been working on it, the leftovers, for like, I'm on like day number four of just putting like skirt steak on bread.
1: See, but still, even the, me thinking about even making skirt steak, I'm like...
0: No, oh, we didn't make it. It was uh, it was ordered and then dropped off.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> the uh-huh. idea
0: of, of standing there and being responsible for the quality <laughs> of a, of a skirt steak. I mean, I can't even imagine.
1: Seriously. Oh my God. Yeah, so...
0: One of the things I've really been enjoying lately is reading your newsletter and having a chance to go back into you know some of your older work and feeling really transported to Puerto Rico, which is the core of everything that you do. So thank you for providing a little bit of relief through vicariously experienced travel.
1: Oh, great! I mean that newsletter a lot. I have so many new followers from um, you know what ended up happening with Bon Appetit or whatever. I think I think I maybe had like. 5,000 followers before that, and now I have like 18,000 followers, and and all of them, you know, of course, like 90% of them have no idea who I am or what my work was like, and since all of my columns, since I'm not um, there at the Chronicle anymore as a columnist, all of my columns are behind a paywall, so it was kind of like, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce people to my work, what I've been doing for the last, you know, five years but also give it to the people for free because a lot of them can't access it behind that paywall, you know? So
0: It's, it's, it's good to see it. Do you have a favorite of all those columns?
1: Um, Not really. Not really. I mean, I guess the, the obvious choice would be to choose my Arushin Gondules one because that's the one that...
0: Award winning.
1: Yeah, that got me the ISAP award, which really, it was great to win, but it, it did absolutely shit for my career. Didn't do anything. I was like, uh, and I talked to, I the whole reason why I even uh, entered was because Nick Sharma, who also won an ISAP award, he was like, you know, nobody was really interested in my cookbook until I won the ISAP award, then it came knocking. I was like, okay, and then I did that, and I'm like, does anybody come knocking? There's nobody gave a shit, and we cared.
0: So you're shopping your book around? Yes. And there's one person who cares. I, I know one big public figure who's been supportive of you.
1: As supportive as he can be, which is super supportive compared to everybody else. Yeah.
0: And that's Jose Andres, who doesn't have a publishing imprint. If if he also had a publishing imprint, I'm sure we we wouldn't be having the conversation about shopping the book.
1: <laughs> it's possible.
0: What are editors saying to you now?
1: So they're still saying the same shit. Like, we don't, you know, we don't know how to market it. It's... It's bad. It's hard enough to sell one culture that people don't know about, let alone two cultures. Because some of the recipes that are in there are, you know, combined like my, you know, my Puerto Rican Laos lot, and it's like it's. I think that they're overthinking it. Like it literally is nothing more than this dish with sofrito, right? Like it's not that complicated because half the shit that we use in Puerto Rican food. I can't find the supermarket. I got to go to the Asian market any damn way. So that right there is already like revealing itself, but they can't see that because that's not their experience. That's not their life. Their life is very homogenous.
0: I think it's, I think it's crazy. Every time you, you posted that thing about the Sofrito ice cubes the other day, I, I can't stop thinking about it. It's the most obvious thing that I've never thought of before. And it's so smart.
1: Yeah, it's so simple and so easy. You literally put shit in a blender, blitz it, done. You're done. And all that stuff you get to the supermarket.
0: The idea to use that, like people would use like a supermarket-bought bouillon cube or something like that. It's so smart. Just that, that pop of flavor. That could be an entire business on its own. S- savory, popsicle, f- savory popsicles <laughs> for cooking?
1: It can. I mean, there's already brands that sell frozen sofrito. Goya, of course, is right. like the main one.
0: Sure. Some, something a little more high-end, something a little more custom.
1: It could be something there. I don't know if, I, if, I, if I'm the person to do it. I want your book to,
0: <laughs> I want your book to get sold. I'm just like, I, I just want to be over here cheerleading.
1: I mean, at this point, it's like, okay. At the, before they were saying, you don't have a platform. And first it was about social media numbers.
0: You got that and then, now?
1: And then as it grew to like, you know, 5,000, they're saying, well, it's not the platform. Isn't necessarily about just social media numbers. It's about you know uh, engagement and you know whether people know you and if this what the market wants. And you know, it, you know from what we see from the books that do sell, it's not what the market wants. And the you know, the Puerto Rican cookbooks that have been published, you know, none of them have really surpassed like a couple of thousand. And it's like, okay. So, basically, at this point, nobody is willing to take the risk, and all they want—I I, I, kind of feel like, in a way, they're almost kind of insulting readers.
0: I feel insulted. Give yeah, me that book. Don't tell. Don't, not, don't don't not tell me. But I won't buy it.
1: Insulting- all of y'all because they assume that you want the another fucking 101 ways to insta pot beans on the keto paleo diet.
0: No, man. I want experts going to places that they know better than anybody else. Especially now when we literally can't go anywhere anymore. Like I right. can't get I live in New York. Getting on a plane and going to Puerto Rico used to be pretty easy. It's it's yeah. it's right there. Yeah. I can't do that now. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the best way to go. You posted something yesterday about really missing Puerto Rico and, and a specific food through the lens of a specific food. Can you tell me about that?
1: So, I mean, we go every year, right? We go every year because that's literally all I write about. So I have to go there for research purposes, obviously. Um, so, yeah, when we're there, we, we go, we see family. We go and we swim. We go and we eat all the foods, you know. But that's like, you know. Also, my job is to keep my ear to the ground and go to. I mean, a lot of people don't think that Puerto Rican food is regional, and that's because they don't really leave the kind of metropolitan area. But there are hyper regional, um, you know, foods throughout Puerto Rico. So the the one place that everybody will go to, that everybody will mention is Piñones. Piñones is right next to Luisa. Luisa is like the cradle of African civilization in Puerto Rico. It's also where like all the best foods come from, right? So all the foods that people kind of know kind of were born in Puerto R- in Luisa because that's where all the slaves went after they were free. So Luisa is like all, primarily all black. So people are like, I don't see any black Puerto Ricans. If you go to Luisa, it's all black, right? So Mofongo in uh, frituras, and empanadillas, or pastelillos, depending who you're talking to, and then of course the acapulco. The acapulco is just—it's people want to say it's like a um, like a like a tamale, but it's, to me it's more similar in texture to like a corn dog. So the outside is like you know really crispy because it's made from mashed tubers. Sometimes it's um, green bananas. Sometimes it's green plantains because green bananas and green plantains are not the same thing, right? And sometimes there's taro mixed in, which is what we call yautía. And then you grate it, you mash it, you turn it into a masa, and then you stuff it with things like ground beef or picadillo or, which is common over there, stewed crab. So it's like the land crab that, you know, kind of hides in the mangroves. It's not like the kind of crab that we have here on the West Coast, like Dungeness. It's not like that. And they catch it in the night. They put it in a cage. They feed it corn and coconut to, like, get the meat sweet. You're kind of, like, purging all the stuff that it's been eating, you know? And then they stew it with, like, tomato sauce and sofrito, and then they put it inside of the masa, and then they fry it.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's so good.
0: Why were you thinking about that specifically?
1: (sighs) I mean, I think about that because... That shot was from the last time we were there in December of 2019. So it's literally like the last thing that we ate on the last day that we were there. You know, like, I remember we went to that sports bar. I say sports bar loosely. It's not really a sports bar. I went, we went to that sports bar and we ate like like five of those acapurias while we were there. And we we're like, okay, let's go back, and we're going to go try this other place. So we went and tried this other place, and it was terrible. It was <laughs> so fucking horrible. We we're like, oh, my God, this bacalaito is pure shit. Like, bacalaito is like, it's just salted codfish and, like, a batter, and then they fry it. That damn thing didn't have any codfish in it whatsoever. It never even looked at a codfish, okay? It was just a big you know, disc the batter, and it was so oily and so old, and I told my cousin, I'm like, dude, I'm like, can we turn around and go back, because this cannot be the last thing that we eat before we leave, this horrible, horrible thing, and he was like, okay, I bet, so we turned around, and we went back to the guy, his name is and he was, like, closing up, and he, like, turned off the fire, he was, like, totally ready to go, and when we came back, my cousin, he ordered some And like, he got the fire going all over again. And then we were talking to him and we're like, you know, oh, like, like, are you just slow? And he's like, no. He's like, I was done for the day. He's like, but since it was you guys, you guys came back. He's like, you know, he's like, I just got to go for you again. We're like, yes, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Has the pandemic slowed down the way you work or gotten in the way of any projects you were working on?
1: Yeah, of course. So many. So many. Like, I'm supposed to be... First of all, I haven't been able to go to Puerto Rico. That's like numero uno. Um, I still have our apartment booked for December. I haven't asked for the refund yet because I'm kind of trying to stay optimistic that then we might be able to travel again by then. I maybe. doubt it, but.
0: Uh, I don't know, maybe.
1: Maybe, we'll see, I don't know. I'm um, supposed to be on a panel with Julia Tershin, um at the um, ISAP conference with a couple of people um i'm supposed to go to hawaii to do my research about the puerto rican diaspora there
0: yeah i really want you to do that i've i've followed i followed along your yeah, but there was a kickstarter for that right
1: uh yeah it's like a paypal money pool
0: yeah yeah I. Yeah,
1: I, 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 I a it's more laid back to the Kickstarter. It's like, if you got something, you got something. If you don't, you don't.
0: That's fascinating to me. And, and what's your operating theory about the connection between Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican food in Hawaii? Because there are obviously Puerto Ricans there.
1: Right. Well, the thing is, the, what I wanted to write about was specifically how pasteles have evolved in Hawaii. So when I was talking about acapulias, right? Like acapulya masa and pastela masa is... is exactly the same, right? So pasteles are formed, shaped, wrapped, and then you boil them, so it's like a big dumpling kind of, right? But in Hawaii, there's this thing that's totally evolved that is quintessentially Hawaiian called pasteles stew. So they don't even form, they took out the, you know, the laborious part of it, which is the forming, and just put everything into the pot, and then made a stew and then served it over rice. And they don't use you know green Spanish olives, they use black olives. And it's like they all use black olives in like all of the recipes. And I'm like, A, I need to figure out why they only use black olives. Because obviously, to me, it's probably like a food sanction thing. They can only access canned black olives. That seems, you know, like a no brainer just off the research that I've done in the past. But also, I was talking to some sisters who own a restaurant there. And one of the sisters said that, you know, pasteles are so interwoven in the fabric of Hawaii that most people don't even know the Puerto Rican origins. And that just seems crazy because Puerto Ricans came to Hawaii, it's only been like 100 years. And just in that short period of time, it's just totally been like sucked up by like Hawaiian culture and nobody even questions the origins of it.
0: Is there a place on earth where you found Puerto Rican diaspora food that's really surprised you? Like even made you wonder like how did this get here
1: i don't think so because i haven't i haven't started to dig that deep into it hawaii was the first place the first time i looked outside of the island and outside of the states
0: it's such a smart idea i mean i think you even have this sensibility as a a puerto rican person who lives on the west coast that even that's different right i mean obviously like new york city and and Puerto Rican culture are, you know, braided tight a million different ways. But you've written a million times that the West Coast Puerto Ricans are kind of the forgotten Puerto Ricans.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Because the reason why they're forgotten is because there's very little representation of the West Coast Puerto Ricans. That's why.
0: So you've got ideas about Puerto Rican food and West Coast American food. You have ideas about Puerto Rican food and Hawaiian food in the book.
1: Yes, it all goes in the book
0: goes in the, the book
1: con- the connection is it's all still puerto rican right no so matter how it's represented it. it's still all puerto rican though
0: someone give this woman a book deal <laughs> it's so it's so exciting i mean i you know even even people who mistake you know the fact that there's one caribbean cuisine so right. puerto, puerto, puerto rican food's just part of that it's just oh, uh oh, oh. oh. <laughs>
1: We'll say you know oh there's not that many puerto rican cookbooks it's like okay a are you only looking at puerto rican cookbooks in english b there's tons of them in spanish that they're not been like published traditionally obviously because look at the fucking issue that i'm having with you of course they're not traditionally published because people are tired of your bullshit but also there are tons of puerto rican recipes in caribbean cookbooks you have to go outside and just say i'm looking for a puerto rican cookbook i can only find these five like you have to, in order for you to find those things, you have to think outside of the box, you know? Like you have to buy that Caribbean cookbook because there might be, a, you know, an old forgotten Puerto Rican recipe in that book.
0: What is, besides the book you're writing, the, the Bible of Puerto Rican cuisine?
1: I think it's Cocina Criolla. I'm pretty, that's the one that everybody seems to talk about. Although I'm pretty sure that the author uh, was Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> now i might be mistaken but from some of the research that i've done she was like a cuban socialite but you know so many cubans came to puerto rico after you know the revolution right Sure. and of course with that also came the chinese cubans they came to puerto rico and they started ice cream empires you've written about
0: that like too about. yeah
1: exactly so it's not and, you know it's not entirely surprising that that would happen, that there were socialites one minute in Cuba and you know, the new regime took over and it came to Puerto Rico. So,
0: Can you describe the feeling of discovery when you're reporting a story and you come across something that really strikes you as moving or important or great or you can't wait to share it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's that feeling. I can't wait to share it. It's always that feeling. And it's not always just I can't wait to share it. Like, I literally can't wait to rub it in the faces of all those Puerto Ricans that think they know everything just based off the fact that they are Puerto Rican. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't make you an expert on the food just because it's your birthright.
0: Are there food rivalries in Puerto Rico between towns? Are there towns that think we're the best at this? And then the one next door is like, no, 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 no.
1: Of course, always. That's always just neighbors are like that too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just in general with Puerto Ricans. Like, they're very. I say, I always say they're spirited, very spirited.
0: (laughs) I think if there's any, if there's a great thing to compete about in the world, it's food. I always want to be around like the neighbors who think I make the best lechon or no, 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 I do. You have to try mine. Like, yes, please let me be right in the middle of your houses the day you're making that food.
1: And that's why, you know, some of the festivals that go down there, the festivals are very informal, they don't do a shit ton of marketing, you know, like, you really kind of have to know about it, have researched, or know somebody who knows, but the festivals are the best places to go, because they're so informal, it's mostly just that community, you know, so, like, if you go to Humacao, and they have, you know, the, um, the rice fritter that I write about, that festival, it's only gonna be like certain people from that community, and then you can taste everybody's, you know, Version there. And everybody lives in that town, in, in that pueblo, in that campo, in that little tiny fucking village, basically. And the same thing with the Caldo Santo festival. Like, yeah, it's the same thing in the sense that it's like a soup chatter type of thing, but everybody puts different things. Like, you know, a lot of the older people kind of stick to more traditional things. A lot of the younger people put, you know, new imported products like salmon that have been introduced to the island. It's like, I don't even know why. It's like terrible farmed salmon on top of that. It's like, show me where the hell the salmon swims on the fucking island. Nowhere, that's where. But, you know, they, a lot of the new the younger kids use that in their recipes now, so.
0: You wrote about spam guisado recently, which is obviously another thing that doesn't grow on the island, but something that's used to great effect.
1: And it's been, but that's been on the island for such a long time that it's to the point in history where people kind of, It's either blurred or they've forgotten how it was introduced. Now they only seem to think about it in the sense of, this is what my mom cooked, this is what my grandma cooked. So therefore, it must be traditional.
0: So we've got like 50 to 70 years before people are thinking like salmon is the today's spam of Puerto Rico. For sure. Maybe you should mash it up and do like a spammon dish. No. (laughs) (laughs) Lay it down when when you do you know muster up the the happiness or energy or whatever it takes to start cooking again what do you think you're going to make
1: i don't know i don't know i mean a lot i think a lot of people are already have been asking me to make pasteles. pastillas are really hard i work i, I try to keep the videos to about 20 30 minutes because that 20 minutes is about the time people start to like, you know, I kind of lose them after that. Like nobody wants to sit and watch this kind of horrible video for 30 minutes. So I just don't know if people have the attention span that it's going to take to do everything from start to finish.
0: I feel like now's the time to test it while everybody's still captured at home.
1: But even then, even when I first started though, it was at the beginning of shelter in place where most people were at home. And about 20 minutes in, you can start to see the numbers you can see drop. The, you you know? can see the drop oh, oh, off. Drop off, yeah.
0: <laughs> you can see, you can, there they go.
1: Exactly. I yep. just
0: turned the 30-minute the corner and I'm down to exactly, three people.
1: Yep, yep exactly.
0: Uh, what are you working on now? What's exciting for you?
1: I'm pushing this book. Push the I have, book. I have not really been writing anything. Um, a couple of people have showed interest, so it's in the hands of two publishers. And I'm really trying to manifest a little bit of positivity that I have in my body towards one of them being interested in buying
0: it. I'm going to manifest energy that way, too. <laughs> what are typically the foods of the summer for you as a Puerto Rican chef, Puerto Rican um, West Coast chef, Puerto Rican Sacramento chef?
1: You know, Sacramento is it's in the middle of, like, you know, some of Northern California's richest farmland, you know, so I happen to be extremely lucky in that capacity. Um, So there's like, you know, it's just like when you see on my Instagram, you know, we were in strawberry season and it was cherry season. And then now we're in, uh, you know, peaches, nectarines, and plums, and corn is right around the corner. You're starting to see a little bit of that. So I just really try to do – I really try to keep it light in that sense. A lot of the things that I make are like the – puerto rican lab thing because it's really quick and it's mostly vegetable so it's just kind of prep work you know but that's really how i eat in the summertime
0: i love that idea i also love with the spam dish that you were incorporating that you know the the fresh corn instead of the canned corn the fresh green beans the idea of of,
1: season right now too yeah
0: spam and fresh corn is just kind of genius
1: (laughs) yep Salty,
0: creamy, fatty, smooth, and yep, that kind exactly. of sun, sunburst crispness of the corn.
1: Exactly. And you totally need all of that to kind of cut through the spam. It's so fatty, you know? So green, green beans and corn are in season right now, and I'm definitely using a lot of those.
0: Is there a Puerto Rican equivalent of fish sauce?
1: That's a good question.
0: There must be somewhere in the history. Well, you'll be the person to find it.
1: I don't think so. No? Other than bacalao? Yeah which is really the only kind of salted, dried fish product. I wonder if
0: anyone ever used like the runoff, you know, the sort of juice that the salt pushed out. I wonder if there was any use for that ever.
1: I don't want to say I don't think so. I'm going to say not that I know about. Because there's still a lot of things about Puerto Rican food that people cook in the mountains and stuff that I don't know about. Right. And nobody knows about really.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's insular. Unless you get to it, you don't know it. Right. Which is great. I mean, it's an island you could... How many times have you been to Puerto Rico? Countless times, and there's still things that are unknowable.
1: Dozens, dozens. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even my friend um, Rafi, he is the one that um, created the Eat, Drink, Share docuseries that was nominated for a beard award. There's stuff that I'll tell him that he doesn't know about, and there's shit that he'll tell me that I don't know about, you know? And like he does, obviously, a, a much more beautiful job because his video series is like so vibrant, you know? He will get to certain things like, you know, in the mountains and the mouth of rivers. And, you know, they're like catching crawdad. I mean, it's not a crawdad, but it's like a relative of the crawdad. I didn't know that shit was there.
0: I like that. That could be a whole second book. Unknown Puerto Rico, Secret Puerto Rico. Tell publishers you have a second book. Make it a two book deal.
1: Exactly. And I mean, and the thing is, he's doing beautiful work. He has a ton of followers, and he still couldn't really... He's asking me for help. This is before I had the 18,000 followers. He has a much larger platform than me, and he still couldn't really get anybody to get interested in it, and he's asking me to help him promote it.
0: It's really interesting. I feel like American publishers love books about certain regions, and other regions are just ignored. And for whatever reason, Puerto Rico is not heavily represented, even though it's... it's part of the country, essentially.
1: You don't even need a passport to go there.
0: You don't even need a passport. All right. Well, I'm going to be up at night thinking about this. (laughs) Uh, Ileana, our show is called takeaway only. What's your big takeaway from having been a, well, from not having been, what's your big takeaway from being a writer uh, through this pandemic and a chef?
1: I, I think my biggest takeaway is that because people are being held hostage (laughs) <laughs> they're much more open to experimenting at home with food. So if there was anything that they could possibly take away from Puerto Rican food at this time, is that like what we opened up with is the versatility of sofrito. and that
0: That's a huge takeaway. That's a, that, that's a gift to give somebody for their whole that life.
1: That's the one-trick pony. They don't have to use it in just Puerto Rican food. They can u- literally use it in any fucking thing that they're cooking during that week guaranteed i actually will challenge that i will pay somebody to prove me wrong that they can use sofrito and everything that they made during that week
0: i'll try to do i'll take the sofrito challenge you don't have to pay me but i'll do it later this summer i like it where do we find your blog
1: uh it is eat listeners
0: go there iliana thank you for being here i appreciate you thanks howard That was Eliana Masonet. You can follow her on Instagram at eatgordaeat. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Free Time Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at b Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardieu, and Raphael Weil. We're back Wednesday, this is Takeaway Only.